I want to start tonight by talking with you about prophecy, the role of prophets. Because if you don't understand this, it'll be hard to progress through a series entitled Jesus on Prophecy. Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 14 the role of a prophet. Now, in the Corinthian church, there were a variety of problems, one of which was chaos, immorality, false doctrine. After we go past the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, he deals with gifts, spiritual gifts. He's going to deal with two in 1 Corinthians 14. One will be speaking in tongues and one will be the gift of prophecy. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So when you look at all the gifts, Paul says there's one that stands out above the rest. And that is the gift of prophecy. Now, a prophet's role, as we think, is primarily to tell the future. But this is not the prophet's main role. And the Bible makes this very clear. As a matter of fact, Jesus fulfilled three roles. He was prophet, priest, and king. He wasn't killed for being king. He was king. He wasn't killed for being a mediator or a priest. And indeed, he was and is. He was killed because he fulfilled the prophetic role of addressing the sins of the age. And they did not want to hear the voice of a prophet. Especially desire the gift of prophecy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. Unless there's an interpreter, of course. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. Now I want you to see the three roles of a prophet. The first thing is the prophet edifies. He builds up God's church. He speaks words that bring encouragement. He tells the truth. He lays a foundation upon which one can build a house that won't fall down in troublous times. But the next thing a prophet does is he exhorts. He reminds the people between right and wrong. This is why Jesus was hated by so many of the religious establishment in his day. A prophet will build up. A prophet will challenge you to be true. Spiritual integrity matters to a prophet. And the last thing that a prophet does is that he will comfort men. Perhaps you remember the words from Handel's famous Messiah where he quotes from Isaiah, Comfort, comfort ye my people. I hope that as this series progresses, you'll have more and more confidence as you listen to the news and watch the world's events. My hope is that you will believe as so many of the faithful through the millennia of time have believed that God is an ever-present help. Therefore, we will not fear. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, let's come down to the end of the chapter. This is very important. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Imagine coming into this church and all three or four hundred of you were speaking in a tongue and no one was there to interpret it. Someone coming in from off the streets would think, what kind of chaos is going on in this house? But there is something Paul wants to contrast in relationship to the gift of tongues, and it's still the gift of prophecy. But if all prophesy, now this was all to be done decently in order. That's another verse farther in 1 Corinthians 14. But in the early Christian churches, many participated in the dynamic of sharing from the Word of God. And their prophesying, which was the edifying, it was the exhorting, and it was the comforting. This role, this gift for those who had it, was a very important thing in Paul's mind for converting people. 
Because if an unbeliever or an uninfirmed person comes in, he's convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Why? Because the secrets of his heart are revealed. Now I want to pause right here. We're starting a journey that's built around the understanding that Christ himself gives his message to his servants, the prophets. But the role of prophecy is such that through the work of edification and exhortation and comfort, God actually speaks through the power of His Holy Spirit and brings to our person a conviction and a knowledge that He is God and He knows everything about us. When an unbeliever comes into a meeting and the spirit of prophecy is operative, the Holy Spirit is revealing to that person that God knows the secrets of their hearts. The role of the prophet and the role of prophecy is to speak clearly in the silences it might be of the listening soul, but through the power of the word and the gift of the prophet that God is alive and he knows every secret about our lives. He will worship and report that God is truly among you. The secrets of the hearts being revealed. Now you need to know there are false prophets. The book of Revelation, which is one of the subjects we will look at, discusses it. The dragon was enraged with the woman. He went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. But there are true prophets at the end of time as well. And they're not people who sit around in smoky rooms and darkly lit corners prognosticating or talking about the future so much. Most of that's been done by God. These are ours to study. But the Bible describes there will be true and false prophets in the end of time. He describes a group of people that will keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Now, I've explained to you that Jesus was destroyed because the integrity of His person as God, as a true man, as a pure living sacrifice, confronted the darkness of their, their souls and their actions and habits. The Bible says that Jesus was the light and he came into the world, but they rejected him because they loved darkness rather than light. What is this testimony of Jesus? Should we expect that it might be a bit like in the end of time, like it was in the days of Christ? And later in the, in the chapter, in the book, John tells us what it is. John had an angelic encounter. He fell down at the feet of the angel to worship, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. There's that phrase. The Bible will interpret its own terms. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus. We should not be surprised is the spirit of what, friends? Prophecy. Exactly. God has an end time people whose fellowship, whose teaching, whose whose preaching will involve edification, it will involve exhortation, and it will involve comfort. And that's what tonight's event is actually about. When we look into the book, though, we discover that these false prophets will be active in the end as they were active throughout the history of Israel. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Hopefully by the time these meetings are over, we'll have an opportunity to identify who some of these players are, certainly we will. And when we come farther into the experience, we see that Jesus shows us how to know when we're dealing with a false prophet or a true prophet. Now, I'm not going to go through all of those tests to this evening, but I want you to know this. Coming to a meeting like this is a dangerous thing because either you are liable for potential manipulation and thus being taken advantage of and made greater a functionary of fear for indeed, our world is a troubled place. As I listen to the news, even going back and forth between my house this afternoon, our world 
is a very troubled place. This meeting tonight is not to make money. It's not to herd you into some kind of allegiance to some individual or group of people. This meeting tonight is an opportunity in the proclamation of truth for you, if you're willing to obey what Jesus shows you, to discover whether the teaching is true or false. There is no such thing as a sincere individual before God who will not be sent messages of truth so they can know which way to go. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you'll hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Jesus was a shepherd and remains a shepherd. He knows where his sheep are and he's appealing. But the appeal cannot be understood unless one is willing to obey. And you say, well, pastor, prove that. Well, let me do that. Could we do that? In the life of Jesus, he had how many, how many close disciples whom we call the apostles? How many, friends? He had 12. The night before he was crucified, this is what he told them. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd. Okay, this is a prophecy. And the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will be, go before you into Galilee. But his prophecy gets even more specific. Jesus said unto him, speaking to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto you that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now this is a very personal prophecy. It's about Peter and the next 12 hours of his life. And Peter says unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I will not deny thee. And likewise, all the eleven said the same thing. Now, I don't know how much more direct and how much more explicit a prophecy could be. This is Jesus, whom Peter has declared to be the Son of God. This is Jesus, who's walked on the water and lifted Peter out of its angry waves. This is Peter, who has spoken words of truth and been rebuked by a loving Master who knows that he's talking to the Messiah, but he will tell Jesus, you are wrong. You see, Peter was not in a place yet where he was willing to accept what Christ had for him to do the will of God. He didn't want a a Messiah who would suffer. He wanted a king. And he was not willing to believe about himself that he was as self-centered and disloyal as Jesus was saying he was. Unfortunately, we know the story. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Now, friends, there's a promise in the Old Testament. Jeremiah, who dealt with false prophets, who was a true prophet and suffered for it, left these words for a rebellious and stiff-necked people. He said, I know the thoughts, speaking for God, that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. He goes on to write, Then you shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. These presentations are not given so that cerebral information, only brain power, because if we've just seen in the life of Peter, brain power is not enough to accept and receive the prophetic utterances of God. One's heart must be surrendered to the Lord of the future and the Lord of the present. God is speaking to each of us tonight, asking us, will we seek Him with all of our heart? If the answer is yes, and in sincerity we come to Him, Him, He has a plan for our life. He knows the specifics about us as we don't even understand ourselves. The number of hairs on our head. 
If he were writing the Gospels today, he would talk about the genomic code that makes up every cell of our body. Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's asking us tonight, would we follow him with humble and surrendered hearts? On April 12, over 100 years ago, this boat set sail. It was crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Movies have been made of it, books written of it, commentaries given in regards to it. It crossed the Atlantic Ocean as the largest ship yet uh, delivered to the mighty seas. And as it crossed, there were over 2,200 people on it. Unfortunately, someone had been so bold as to suggest that it was a creation beyond which even disaster itself could not touch. We know the story. We know that on the night of April 12, as it was crossing the Atlantic Ocean, it came to a moment in time, having been warned, every captain on the North Atlantic that night knew there were icebergs out there. The messages had gone out. And while the lights were on and the music was playing, people had no clue that the Titanic had not slowed down one knot. Now I want you to understand, I know how busy you are. I understand that 12 nights in a row is an awful lot of intensity and potential invasion into one schedule. But friends, if there was ever a time to slow down and make a priority of seeking God, this is the hour. For indeed, there are prophetic way marks which I will be showing you as time goes by, night by night, and on the Saturday mornings. God is speaking to get the attention of planet earth. He desires that none should perish, but that all should be able to come into an ark of safety, which is a relationship with God and not be worried or afraid, and thus be one of the greatest lights and witnesses in a world where men are running around in circles. As they approached that night through the North Atlantic Sea, it was just a bit too late that they discovered a large iceberg looming out in front of them. And when all the alarms had been sounded, and when the tiller had been spun, they could not get the Titanic far enough out of the way of the iceberg, and as it slid along the side, it cut a gash 300 feet long in the ship. Two hours and 20 minutes later, as the stern was sliding into the ocean, half of the light boats, which were only half enough for all of the uh, occupants on board, only half of the seats in the lifeboats were filled. And when the news came out the next day, Unfortunately, only 705 people had survived that devastating encounter with the iceberg. Friends, this illustration of man's bravado and his, his sense of jubilation as he marches on through danger without any real sober sense. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, for the, your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I want to assure you today we are living in an age of false and true prophets. I want to assure you today that God will take his children safely through, cross that spiritual Jordan to the other side, to their heavenly home. Somebody said to me today, they were praying, and in their prayer they said, the mansions are already there. Jesus promised that there's a place for us. The devil, through false prophet and the deceivableness of our own hearts, is like Peter, looking to draw us into a relationship with this world where he can steal away our inheritance. Dr. Stephen Hawking, there are many secular prophets today, by the way. Hawking's voice may be silenced. But I want you to see what he said. It is important for the human race to spread out into space for the survival of the species. Life on earth is at the ever 
is at an ever-increasing risk of being wiped out by natural disaster, nuclear war, a genetically engineered virus, or other dangers. We have not yet thought of. We won't find anywhere as nice as Earth unless we go to another star system. Well, I get to where I'm almost in agreement with him on the last part of that. Friends, I want to tell you what secular prophets don't have. They cannot comfort you. I listened today by the speech of the 16-year-old Scandinavian before the United Nations. I'll talk more about it tomorrow night. You talk about a speech. Five minutes was all she had. She is a earth-trotting, global warming uh, warrior. And I want to tell you, to be 16 and make a speech like she made was something else. You ought to listen to it. But at the end of the day, I want to assure you, the secular prophets, which are crying out, in effect, that the sky is falling, that the world is coming to an end, they are not all wrong. The only problem is they can bring you no comfort. It's important for us to understand that Bible prophecy is the answer. God spoke this world into existence, and He can tell us where it's going. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, the Scriptures say, there is no other declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Isaiah was the prophet to the northern ten kingdoms of Israel. Unfortunately, they did not listen. Fulfilled Bible prophecy verifies the truthfulness of God's Word. And it gives us the confidence that the future is in His hands. I want to assure you that the God who got the the Israelites out of Egypt is able to get His people out of this spiritual Egypt, this earthly globe that we're living on. And tonight, my hope is that you have confidence when this meeting is over, greater confidence than when you came. What does the Bible say about prophecy? And what does it say about those who read it? The first verses of Revelation are superbly important. There are some who say the book cannot be understood, that it's, it's a closed book. It's exactly the opposite of its own testimony. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which Christ gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that He saw. Blessed, that means happy, is he who reads, who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Yes, God's prophets speak comfort. The, the, though the beast and the themes of the book of Revelation appear somewhat discomforting in a casual read as you dig deeper into the imagery and let the Old Testament and New explain what that imagery means, there is comfort in it. Jesus is coming. He can take his people home. Do not be afraid, chapter 1. I am the first and the last. Above all people, Christians are not to be afraid. This is God's call to us that He came and lived amongst us as a perfect sacrifice. He will shepherd His people all the way through. What we are not instructed to do regarding the Bible and prophecy in the book of Revelation is we are not to seal the words. This prophecy is to be understood. Now, the book of Daniel was sealed for many years. It was a book designed for the time of the end. We're going to look at it here momentarily. But the message of the book of Revelation is Jesus will come. He came before. He's coming back again. And it's our invitation to be ready. I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy 
of this book. Now there is another book in the Bible that parallels the book of Revelation. That is the book of Daniel. Jesus believed that Daniel was a prophet. He actually gave a warning in the signs of the times, which we'll look at tomorrow night. He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Jesus believed that the prophetic word that preceded him by 600 years was to be understood in part by the people listening to him. Tomorrow night, I'll explain what the desolation, the abomination of desolation was. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The book of Daniel is an important key to understanding the book of Revelation, and we will study them together in unison. About two-thirds of the book of Revelation are direct quotes from the Old Testament, so we're going to find ourselves there through much of our presentation. But tonight I want to pull back the corner on the cornerstone of Bible interpretation. Exceptionally clear, exceptionally simple, and exceptionally provable through history. There was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Perhaps you saw our 36-foot-tall replica cut from one redwood tree. This evening it's in Lansing, Michigan, where one of another 100-plus sites are presenting the glorious good news of the prophecies of God, of Jesus, of the book of Daniel and Revelation. This man had a dream. He was the uncontested dictator of the civilized world, but he couldn't remember his dream. He asked everyone to come in and explain the dream, to tell him the dream, and to explain it. He had a whole cadre, a whole group of supposedly uh, understanding individuals who I'm sure were well paid. But they said to him, tell us the dream and then we'll tell you the interpretation. But the king wasn't buying it. He knew that it was very important and unless they could tell him the dream, they'd make up an interpretation. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Now listen, the book of Daniel is a showdown between prophets. You have God's prophets who will depend on him to understand the future and give hope, and you have false prophets, in this case, who are being discredited because they won't participate. In this, in this case, they can't. The decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them too. It says, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and he said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. And so Daniel went in. A very interesting privilege. But you have to remember, when Daniel had been examined after his training, Nebuchadnezzar had pronounced he and his three friends ten times wiser than anyone else. Daniel had lived a life of respect and honor, and he had privilege to come before the king, and he was going to tell the king the interpretation. What did he do? Daniel went to his house. He prayed with his friends. The amazing thing is, is that Daniel found an answer to his prayer. The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, I want to ask you, look at the picture and tell me, could you do this? If the day before, the, the duly appointed authority had decreed that you will die unless you have an answer for me, could you go that night and put your head down on a pillow trusting that if it was God's will you would live and if not, you should surrender your life in the name of a wise man? Daniel slept that night. We shouldn't be surprised. Later on in Daniel's life, we find him in other places where his faith is tested in God. 
But the Bible gives us a promise. Ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Tonight, friends, if you don't have a personal living relationship with Christ, I'm inviting you to discover that He is very alive and very, very real. Without that, all the prophecies in the world can't amount to much. But once you cross the line, where you begin a, a humble communication with God, a surrender to, to this God saying, God, I don't know who you are. I've been told you're out there. I'm making a journey to know you. Please speak to me. That's completely different than arraigning God before your bar of justice and declaring that he must Come off in the way you so describe. If you should so come before this God who spoke the world into existence in six days and humbly ask Him to reveal Himself to you, He will do for you what He did for Daniel. Jesus gave us this promise and invited us to pray. And He reminded us that if parents know how to be kind and, and giving to the solicitous request of their children, that is something they've received from the very nature of God Himself. Daniel would find himself as an old man thrown into a lion's den. But you need to know something, friends. This was under a different monarchy. Babylon had passed off the scene. It was a Medo-Persian king that had inadvertently been tricked into writing a law that would put Daniel in the jaws of the lion. But I want to tell you, as they took Daniel from his home where he prayed openly so they could all see he wasn't changing because the law had been written. Daniel was not afraid as they marched him to the lion's den. And if you'd like that kind of confidence, you can have it because the book of Daniel is about the time of the end and the stories are the lifestyles in the experience of God's final generation. Don't be afraid. He comes back to the king and he says, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and he said, The secret which the king has demanded of the wise men, the astrologers, the musicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. However, Daniel says, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. I love this picture. The humble Hebrew servant and the king sliding forward to the front of his chair. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation you can't remember or dreamed a dream you can't remember, but Nebuchadnezzar knew this was an important moment. The God of heaven was seeking to reach this secular pagan ruler. God has his eye on reaching all. He will find men in the, and women in the highest estate and the lowest and everything in between. God has an interest in the leaders of our nation and other nations around the globe today. And there are honest of heart men and women who will respond to the truth that comes from heaven. God sent a message direct to Nebuchadnezzar so that the world could be a different and better place. You, O king, were watching and you saw this image. The image ahead was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and clay. And Nebuchadnezzar is nodding his head. This is it. What does it mean? You watched while the stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image in its feet and the iron and the clay, and it broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away, so there was no trace of them found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar is sitting there with eyes wide open and his jaw is dropping down. 
And he is wondering to himself, who am I talking to? Now we will tell the interpretation of it. The king, the credibility factor has been established. God's prophets are being raised up. Their voices without the benefit of social media or modern mega advertising and media outlets is now going to find its way to the one man who can push out the credibility of the Hebrews of their God like none other. Remember, this was a conquered people. It appeared their God was weak and impotent. But God is reestablishing himself. What is the interpretation? The interpretation was one that is not terribly hard for us to understand. This image made of four unique metals was going to represent a different kingdom. The head of gold was going to represent Nebuchadnezzar. The arms of silver and the chest of silver, the Medes and the Persians, which would conquer Babylon. The belly and thighs of bronze, Greece, which would come along and in the most rapid succession, seven years, conquer the Medo-Persian kingdom. And the legs of iron, the iron monarchy of Rome. And the feet of iron and clay, the divided Roman Empire. And what would happen to this? There would be an ultimate destruction of these earthly kingdoms. And God himself would establish his kingdom in such a way that no longer would there be the vicissitudes of worry and fear, the pain of disease. God's glorious kingdom represented by this mountain would represent a remaking of planet earth and a restoration of our heavenly citizenship and our right and statement in the annals of the cosmos. Yes, indeed, the dream and the image was awesome and terrible. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't get it out of his mind. You are a king, the king of kings, and God has given you kingdom and power. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, he's giving them into your hands. You are this head of gold. But the bad news followed. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Friends, the Bible is interpreting itself. Don't miss it. This is how prophecy is properly understood. Scripture compared with Scripture. And then another and a third kingdom which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the clay. Now Peter tells us that no prophecy is of a private interpretation. That's because the Bible interprets these things. And as we watch prophecy unfold, the Scriptures confirming indeed what is going on. You're this head of gold. Indeed, Babylon was an amazing city. Eshelus says that Babylon was teeming with gold. And Herodotus says that the lavishness of gold in the sanctuary of Belmarduk was something to behold. Indeed, the hanging gardens of Babylon, wonderful beyond description. Indeed, Nebuchadnezzar and his engineers had architected some of the most amazing things, one of the wonders of the ancient world. Nebuchadnezzar's cuneiform tablet tells some very interesting stories. He intended to build Babylon up so strong it could never be conquered. But I don't have as much time, so I'm going to move quickly through some of these last slides. Babylon's kingdom lasted just about 70 years, but there was bad news. The other kingdom was on its way, the Medes and the Persians. Medo-Persia was a kingdom that resided for just over 300 years. Unfortunately, they too had a mortality of existence. On October 13, 1539, Babylon fell. Babylon fell. It is a symbol or a type in the book of Revelation where it describes that Babylon has fallen, has fallen. Cyrus, who was named in Scripture, diverted the 
Euphrates River marched under the gates that crossed the river, found that the gates along the river were open. Cyrus is named 180 years before the event happens, and he was summoned to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors. This is all prophesied in the book of Isaiah. When we go beyond this, we see that time is marching on and God is delivering what he knew was in the future. The experience of the Cyrus Cylinder confirms the message of the Bible. As Dr. Yonker was here explaining tonight, the truthfulness, the verity, the accuracy of Scripture, the Cyrus Cylinder, this story of his conquering Babylon was contested for years. But when the Cyrus Cylinder was found, the Bible message was affirmed. The Bronze Kingdom becomes the Kingdom of Greece, ruling for approximately 150 years. Alexander the Great conquered the then-known world in seven years. Unfortunately, he could not conquer himself. Drunk himself to death in a stupor, died of alcohol poisoning. This is why knowing prophecy and actually understanding the power of Christ to win over the human heart and cleanse it is so important. And the fourth kingdom, the kingdom of Rome, this kingdom lasting longer and conquering the then-known world almost, actually almost 600 years Rome was a force to be reckoned with, delivering and developing the weapons of iron warfare. And indeed, this was the kingdom in which Jesus lost his life. But there is no fifth empire. Those nations that followed Rome would be partly strong and partly divided. And when we look at a map, we discover that indeed ten tribes came out of the fall of Rome. Three of them were destroyed by the Holy Roman Empire and seven remained and today if you look at the modern map of Europe you find it more divided than ever one young person in this church not long ago said every time after a world war they tried to unite Europe and put it back together it was more divided than before they started why attempt to unify the nations of Europe and why is this mentioned in the Bible that attempt has been done by many men it was done by Napoleon it was done by Charlemagne. It was done by Hitler. It was done by a whole host of men, all of them failing. Seventh-day Adventist preachers during the bombing of Britain describing that Hitler would only be able to go so far for Daniel to had decreed that they should mingle with the seed of men, but they would not cleave. Indeed, we still hear today the voice of the European Union. Many voices, one people, even as the backdrop of the, the brawl in the House of Commons in Great Britain today over Brexit. Indeed, friends, the Bible prophecies are true. And we find ourselves on the cusp of the kingdom of the mountain of the stone cut out without hands. That stone represents the kingdom of Christ, destroying all of the nations and the empires of this age. And while I have to go quickly through this, I want you to know that God's Word is the rock. Jesus Himself is described as the rock. And when we build our lives on that rock, we don't have to be afraid. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the winds can come, the floods can come, the earth may shake, but that house will remain strong and true. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, friends, tonight I need you to know Jesus made some pretty audacious claims. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And in John 8, he described himself as a being in existence before Abraham, the father of at least three religions. Timothy Keller tells a story when he was at the, the new social school 
the new school for social studies in New York City. He tells how he was on a panel with an imam, a leader of the Islamic faith, a rabbi, a leader of the Jewish faith, and he is a Christian. He said to all those that were listening, he said, Christianity cannot be just another religion. He said, the claims that Jesus made require it to be an inferior religion or a superior religion. You cannot make the claims that Jesus made without being a pompous, egotistical blasphemer or else they are true. And the imam and the rabbi on each side of him said to Keller, you're exactly right. They were all very comfortable with the truth of his statement. What those in the audience, the young collegiates in the audience, however, were very uncomfortable with this. And it's like, no, every idea is equal to every other one. And Keller and the imam and the rabbi actually had to say to the audience, quit violating us. We are speaking to you the truth. We are quite comfortable with the fact that we all believe that we have it. And this statement by Keller was indeed a fact. Tonight, friends... What I've shared with you is the cornerstone of Bible prophecy. It is an explanation of world empires and a promise of a better world to come. And tonight I'm appealing to you that Jesus is standing at the door and He's asking for entrance into our heart. Don't be like Peter, for whom the truth was spoken and he resisted it because it went against his wishes. It confronted his fears. It subdued his ambitions. Tonight I'm appealing to you. Enter into this journey with Jesus on prophecy, letting Him assure you that He can take you through to the end. There is nothing to be afraid of when He resides in your heart, that He holds not only the future but you in His hands, and that He will see His people safely through to the other side. Indeed, the journey has begun. I invite you back tomorrow night for Earth's final megatrend. Now, as you leave tonight, I want to remind you, keep the cardboard, deliver the plastic. Be sure to go downstairs and get your children right away. And my hope is, is that you'll slide over to the, the fellowship hall and enjoy a few light refreshments. And we will enjoy a journey of 12 nights discovering Jesus on prophecy. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We want to know you more. Please edify and exhort and comfort as only your prophets can do. And bless us now on this journey, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.